Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. Again, thank you for being here today. We're excited for what God has in store for us as a family, what God's got in store for us today. Uh, Echo what Pastor Mike said earlier, you can tell it's football season in the air. I went and got out my all of my, my winter apparel when I looked at the forecast this week and saw that it was going to be down cold and freezing in the 70s. That cold weather stuff, not for the birds, you know, isn't it? So uh, at any rate, we're glad that you're here. If you've got your Bibles today, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 7. Stick a marker over in John chapter 13. That's where we'll be today. In, uh, in previous weeks in our series, Together, we've talked about how we're better together. How many of you agree that we're better together? I need you, you need me. We're one big happy family. We talked about how we're stronger together and how the, the importance of gaining strength from connection and relationship matters in the long run. It definitely changes things for down the road. But Pastor Mike's message last week was fantastic. Uh, it's, it's available on the podcast if you've not checked that out. It is available there, and today uh, we're going to continue on in our series, and today's message is entitled, Full of Love. Full of Love. So as we look back at our text for this series, we're going to notice some three things that will stand out at the end of this passage that are the products of being connected together in one body. Our, our text for the series will be on the screens as Ephesians 4, 15, and 16. And it says, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole thing, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Notice in there that says each part doing its own special work. Everybody has a role to play. Everybody has a part to play. We all bring a connection together and we all have a unique special role to fulfill. We do not and we cannot escape that assignment. Whether you are young or retired, we all have a special part to play. So me doing my part helps you grow, and you doing your part helps me to grow. That's the way God designed the body. And when we all do our part, we help each other grow, and what happens is the whole body, the whole body is I just changed those batteries too. I mean, right before service, I literally just changed those batteries. Oh, well. But what happens is the whole, Mike, Pastor Mike had to come get the microphone from me down there because I came up here and stole it from where he was going to get it to change the batteries. So I don't, I don't know what happened. They died. But when we all do our part, the whole body fits together. The whole thing is healthy and growing and full of love. Those three things are the main three things we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. What the, my, my next three sermons, these are the three things we're going to talk about. Why? Because we've got to grow. We've got to be healthy and we've got to be full of love. Now today we're going to work backwards and we're going to start with talking about being full of love. Now I want you to look at your neighbor and as straight faced as you can, ask them, are you full of it? 
Whatever emphasis you put on it is up to you. Now, if the old saying is true that love wins, then why in the world would we not want to be filled with love? Many people, I think, are not full of love because they don't have a proper understanding of what love is. But let me tell you, at the end of today's message, we're all going to understand scripturally what love is. Now, in our text, Paul uses this very specific Greek word for love, and it's the word agape. Now, that, that word you may have heard thrown around as a Greek word because of the countless sermons that we've heard in our lifetime on John chapter 21 when Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And he uses the word agape. But Peter responds, Lord, you know I love you, but he uses the word phileo. And the reason it's important to note that is because they're different meanings. Agape is this, this word that means more. Phileo is a very specific word that uh, when Jesus is going through this and he asks him three times, do you love me? The third time Jesus changes his ask of Peter and he says, Peter, do you phileo me? And it hurts Peter's feelings and he says, Lord, you know all things. And it hurts his feelings that Jesus asked that and Jesus tells him, then feed my sheep. Peter could only answer that he phileo loved him. And the Greek word phileo means to love in the sense of great care or concern or great loyalty. But that wasn't what Jesus was asking. He was asking Peter if he had grasped love like Jesus demonstrated. The word agape wasn't really used in, in the time period that Jesus was around in the Greek. It wasn't a term that they just casually threw out. It wasn't like this. I love Taco Bell. First of all, I don't know anybody who says I love Taco Bell other than one of our children's pastor's daughters and I'll, I'll leave her nameless. But after service, you can ask Destiny all you want about that Taco Bell stuff. I don't know. I, I don't. It's kind of like this. I love the Oklahoma Sooners. That is... Listen, as much as we all identify with that, and I'm hearing amens and hands going up, as much as we identify that, that is not agape love. And yet, as Americans in, in the English language, we've tried to articulate it to mean the greatest amount of, of, of love that we can muster for something. And that's not at all what it's intended to be. Agape love is more than that. Jesus was asking Peter, have you grasped the concept that it's more than just a great concern or a great amount of loyalty? He was asking him, do you agape me? And it means a strong affection and regard for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges on another person's behalf. That's the difference. Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to give up your rights and your privileges for someone else's benefit? That's the idea of what marriage is supposed to be, that we lay our life down so that the other person's life can flourish. And when that gets rep repeated, in the cycle, then what happens is we have a marriage that flourishes. Agape love is the love that we're talking about today and the love that we need to be full of, that sacrificial love. In the New Testament, it's used 140 times. 30 of those are found in the Gospels. The Gospel writers were saying, this is the love Jesus demonstrated and taught us about. 
sacrificial love. 115 times the rest of the New Testament writers said this is the love that we're supposed to possess and we're supposed to demonstrate to others. It's easy to have phileo love for others. It's easy to demonstrate that, to be concerned, to be loyal, uh, to have affection for them. That's an easy type of love to possess. That's the love that you have for Taco Bell. That's the love that I have for Casino Domino. I'm loyal. It's, it's the love that I have uh, for certain barbecue restaurants. I'm loyal. But I do not agape them. I will not make the sacrifice for their benefit or, or betterment. I will not lay down my rights or privileges so that they, you see what I'm saying? It's not a love that can be pet, possessed that way. And this is the love that was demonstrated. This is what they said is the important part. It's not easy to have agape love for them because the love that says I'm willing to sacrifice my own well-being for you is not easy to give away. But this is exactly the love that we're to be full of. This is exactly the love we're to possess. It's the love that Paul chose in our text to say that this is the byproduct of our connection in the church with other believers as well as Jesus Christ. So if that's the goal, to be full of that kind of love, if that's the aim of our journey with the Lord, to be full of agape love for others, then let's look at how we get filled up on it, how we flesh it out, and how we freely give it away. Number one, we've gotta fill up on it. You know, in Texas right now, they're having a hard time getting full gas tanks. There's been a disruption in the delivery service of gasoline all the way up to to the Dallas area. They're having a hard time filling up. I know too many believers that would say the exact same thing has happened to them. They're having a hard time getting filled up with it. We're having a hard time staying full because it seems like the the flow has been disrupted. The delivery of of God's love in our own heart has been disrupted. And oftentimes that's because of our own sinful nature running rampant and not being kept in check through self-control or having a lack of a prayer life or having a lack of of studying God's word. But we've got to be filled up on it. Jesus made this very clear. He said whatever goes in is going to come out, right? Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23. It says, and then he added, it's, it's what comes from the inside that defiles you. In other words, it's not the food that you put in. He made all the food clean. It's, not what, it's what comes from the inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Well, if that's true, then the opposite is true. See, if what comes from inside of you is good and love and mercy and grace and compassion and kindness, then those are what will come out of you if that's what we're putting in. Well, you say, well, preacher, that's not what Jesus said. Well, let me prove to you in the Bible that that's the truth. In Psalm 119, verse 11, David makes it really clear for us. He said, I have hidden your heart, your word, where? In my heart, I've put it down deep. And if it's down deep, then it's what's going to come out of my life. It's what's going to overflow in my heart. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, I wish that it would have been a whole lot easier than this. I wish that it would have been something simple. But he said, you have to hide his word. Now, have you ever played hide and go seek with your kids? The younger they are, the easier they are to hide things from. All you have to do is get on a shelf top, surface level. Now that the kids are older, you have to get a little bit more creative, right? 
And you have to begin to think about where they're not going to look and place things there. As Hayes has gotten older, now that he's three, he's learning how to hide and be very quiet. Be very quiet. We're hunting weapons. He'll get real quiet and he'll go hide and he'll crawl in a cabinet. He'll open the doors and crawl in there and shut them and you go looking for him. And there have been times that we get a little panicked, right? Because it's like, where'd Hayes go? And you walk through the house and you're calling his name. And eventually if you get close enough, you can hear him start to laugh. But he's hiding and he's getting really good at it. Really scary good at it. Why do we think hiding God's word in our heart should be any different? See, when we hide God's word in our heart, we should place it in the deepest, darkest crevices so that when the devil tries to invade our life, when he gets there and finds the hiding place, he's going to find there's somebody already been there. The Bible says that Jesus is the word. And when we hide him in our heart, the devil can't find a room to, to set up camp, to place his base there. When we were doing youth ministry back in the day, we would go to youth camp, and every summer, our district youth director, the camp leader, Robbie McClure, he would get up there, and he would tell all of the adults, all of the coaches, hey, tonight after service, when everybody's all emotionally jacked and they're hyped up because Jesus is changing their life and their emotions are really, you know, uh, uh, very raw and exposed, it's a great time for the devil to do his work in relationships. So what I want all of you married couples to do is go find all of the dark corners around the camp and beat the kids there. Worked every time. If they can't find a place to hide because you're already there, you can't find a place to hide. Same thing, hide God's word. You have to dig deep. You have to work and put it there. How do we do that? How do we hide God's word? We meditate on it. We think about it. We savor it. We quote it, we constantly keep it in front of our eyes and you'll hide God's word in your heart. But it takes constant work of digging deep, of walking around quoting scripture, practicing and memorizing and placing it deep in our heart. We have to know what God's word says or we're gonna miss out. Not just that, not just David, he was not the only one that talked about it. You see, Paul said that to keep our heart, to keep it in our heart, we had to think about the right things. If our thinking is right, nothing can stop us. If our thinking is wrong, nothing can help us. Let me run that back by because that was way better than your amen. If our thinking is right, nothing can stop us. But if our thinking is wrong, nothing can help us. If you are convinced two plus two equals five, I can't help you. If you are convinced two plus two equals four, nothing can stop you. It really is that simple. We've got to think about the right things, and Paul said that. In Romans 12, two, he said, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will for you. You will know, learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So transformation comes from a new way of thinking. If we're gonna get this right and be full of love, we've gotta think that way. We can't be thinking about how much we disapprove of someone else's behavior. You can't be constantly consumed with thinking about everything else that's around us. We have to think about the right things. And Paul clarified that in Philippians 4.8 when he said, and now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. 
Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Think that way. If we're consumed with with the wrong things, we're going to miss it. We have to fix our mind. We have to fix our thoughts on these things. Lock in. Don't look anywhere else. Lock in. We've got to stay focused on that and stay locked in to the things that are right. This is wildly beneficial today in our climate in America. You know what the worst thing in the world is? Staying glued to your Facebook channel so you get all your news there. Staying glued to Fox News. Staying glued to CNN or MSNBC or anywhere else you can get fake news. Let me tell you, friends, everybody's trying to figure out what God's word is predicting is coming to pass. But there's only one place you can get the truth, and that's in the Bible. Everyone else may be be able to tell you what the facts of an event are, but only in God's word do we find the truth of how it's working together for our good. Only in God's word. We've got to keep our mind fixed there. Don't allow anything else to capture our thoughts. We have to fix our thoughts on whatever is honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. We've got to keep our mind fixed on what matters. So we've got to fill up. You've got to stay full. I learned a really important lesson just this last week from talking to my mother. Now, I know you're probably shocked that at my age, my mother is shedding new light on old situations. But I learned something new about the most strange of things, automobiles. You see a mechanic there in Henrietta where she lives whose kids at one point had attended mom and dad's church there in Henrietta when they were pastoring there, had told her a long time ago, my grandkids never seem to understand that if they keep only putting $5 in their gas tank, their fuel filter is going to go out because there's never enough gas to keep the trash pushed down so it constantly gets sucked up in their fuel filter and I've changed the last one I'm going to change for them. And he was a mechanic. If they would just fill the tank, it would prevent so much damage. Friends, if we would just fill the tank, it would prevent so much damage. We've got to stay full of God's word. We've got to stay full of God's love. We've got to stay full of encouragement for one another. I want each and every one of us to walk in the fullness of what God has. And that is to be full of love, of agape love. But how do we do that? We've got to stay full of his word. Not only do we have to stay full of his word, but we've got to flesh it out. You've got to flesh it out. Jesus said it this way. John chapter 13, verse 35, he said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciple. How do we prove it? Love. Agape love. Again, this is the word agape. Your agape love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In the New Testament church, they grasped this and they ran with it. But obviously, we understand you can't see a feeling. You can feel a feeling, but you can't see it. It's not visible. You may see the the flashes of it, 
because someone's angry and you can see the anger on their face, but that does not mean that you've seen the feeling. You have seen the fleshing out of that feeling. In the same way, you can look and tell when somebody's in love, amen? Man, it's easy to tell. They're all smoochy and snuggly and cuddled up, right? You know that young love when they're just trying to figure it out before they have to pay bills together and all that kind of stuff, right? They're all snuggled up and all life is good and all oh, this is great, but, but, but give it a minute. Give it just a minute. Because I promise you, we, we've done enough marriage counseling and premarital counseling. I promise you, the day's coming and it ain't going to be, oh, this is great. You know what she did to me today? She griped at me because I didn't wash my toothpaste down. Because I left my shoes by the chair where I'm going to put them back on at. Because I didn't hang the towel the way she wanted me to hang the towel. Sorry, Rachel, that wasn't meant to be just our business. Sorry about that. Listen, these moments come. Why? Because you can't see a feeling, but you have to express it. We can't hang on to it and live by the heartwarming feelings that come with those uh, uh, come on us and, and expect the world to see that. It doesn't work that way. Only when they're fleshed out can it be seen. Only when it's demonstrated can love be seen. By the way, every single time we truly agape love someone, it gets demonstrated. Self-sacrifice gets demonstrated. Sacrifice shows up when we give it away. Your spouse didn't marry you because you loved her and never showed it. Your kids don't love you because you were just there as dear old dad and never said it. It's because somewhere along the way, you showed that you loved them. Why would we expect anyone else to look at the church and hear us talk about love, but never see it put into place and believe that we truly love? Let me brag on you as a church for just a minute. You know, I hear often about how loving you are as a church family. It's often put on a guest card. It's often in an email for a follow-up conversation of how we're told on phone calls of, of how loving and welcoming and warm and kind and all of those other wonderful platitudes are about you as a church family. And I applaud you for that. Because that's the way it should be. People should say that. Because there's not every church in the world that's that way. There are plenty that only fight and feud and they don't really want anyone else to join their little controlled organization. Because it's not a church, it's not loving, so it can't be a church. It has to be a controlled religious organization. Similarly, we as a church, we flesh this out. We demonstrate the love that we have, not just here, but we demonstrate that when we have our community events, like our upcoming Fall Fest, like our Christmas toy giveaway that'll be happening in December, or what we do in the community for our schools, or on a weekly basis for the homeless on Saturdays, or what we do seemingly daily through seasons of change. That is the church fleshing out our love for one another. That's what we're doing. We're fleshing out our love for one another. These are the things we do to love together as a church family. We're showing it. Well, right now the world is seeing that in America, we're seeing love for one another like we've never seen because of the terrible hurricane and its devastation. Every relief organization on the ground who were there first except for FEMA were religious organizations. Convoy of Hope, Feed the Children, uh, uh, Reach Out America. They're all religious Christian-based organizations. The Red Cross, uh, uh, other local charities, charitable organizations who are there. 
But then you have what they refer to as the Cajun Navy. Have you seen pictures of the Cajun Navy? It's all these rednecks running around with boats and big lifted trucks. And they showed up at their own expense, on their own time, their own talent, their own treasure, at their own uh, cost to be there to demonstrate concern for one another. That is exactly what the definition of agape love should be. That we show up on our own time, talent, and treasure to make a difference in somebody else's life in a demonstrable way. As this is unfolding in front of us, what we're seeing is that we are rooted as a Christian nation. There's still those roots there. And it shows up in these terrible times of tragedy. And while it's heartwarming to see these things happen in moments of tragedy, the mark of a Christian is that we live every single day that way. I'm not saying every one of you need to go buy a boat and a lifted truck and, and get her up and get a redneck. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is how do you demonstrate that around the world, uh, around your world? How do I demonstrate that? How have I left my world a better place because I've given of my time, talent, and treasure to somebody who can never repay me? What am I doing with it? How am I fleshing out the love of Jesus, the agape love to you, to our church family, to our brothers and sisters in other churches? How am I making a difference in my world? That's the question that we have to wrestle with as believers. If we're gonna be better together and full of love, it has to show. We have to return to the simple fact that love cannot be contained and uh, uh, you can't contain it, you can't hold on to it, you have to give it away. Love cannot be contained and being around others who purposefully do the same thing help us to, to, to flesh that out. We have to be encouraging, we have to demonstrate that. That's how we grow to be full of love. I need you, you need me, we need each other because that's who we are and that's, and that's because we're in this together. We have to grow. That's why Hebrews said to forsake not the gathering together of believers as some are in the habit of being. But we're supposed to do that especially as we see that the time is drawing short. Guess what? The time's drawing short, amen? <clears throat> some of you seem convinced. Some of you seem not to care. I heard a story about a, a preacher named Casey Treat who pastors a great church in the Seattle area. He's a member of the Foursquare denomination. And at their national conference, Casey Treat got up. He was the keynote speaker for their evening service. And he's preaching this fantastic moving message about how we need to realize that there are people all around us that need Jesus. And he said, you know, some of you, it seems that there are people all around you and they're dying and going to hell. And by the way you're behaving and the way your church acts, it seems that you do not care. There was people, you know, all these full of preachers and amen, amen, you know, it's true, we need to be concerned. He said, no, no, I don't think you understand. There are people all around you who are dying and going to hell and some of you don't care. Amen, amen, amen. No, he said, no, 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 I don't think you understand. There are people all around you who are dying and going to hell and some of you don't give an expletive. And there was a holy hush that fell all across the room. And he said, some of you are more, more I, I'm more concerned that some of you are angry that I said a bad word than the fact that you don't care people are dying and going to hell right around you. The altars are open whenever you're ready to come and repent before God. 
set the microphone down and turned and went to his seat. As the altars began to fill with ministers in their denomination who wept and repented before God, that their church had turned into nothing more than just a my four, uh, a club for my four and no more. Friends, we have to demonstrate the love of Jesus. The agape love can't be contained, it can't be held, it can't just be kept inside, it has to be something that we show the world. And how do we do that? Well, we freely give. We freely give. Now, if, if you're thinking, that sounds like a familiar phrase, and I bet he's gonna go to Matthew chapter 10, verse eight, you'd be correct. Because in Matthew 10, eight, Jesus said to heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Give freely. Give freely. Freely give. No strings attached. See, the problem is, this, while this is a great passage that fits the most important thing we can announce to anybody, is that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And in verse seven, that's what Jesus tells the disciples there to do, to go into the highways and the byways and tell people that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, freely you have given, uh, freely you have received, so freely give. Give, give it freely, don't hold back, give it away. Let everyone else know that what you have, they can have for free, that the, that the greatest possessions they can have are, are within your grasp to give them. These are some really practical needs that he told them to go meet. I mean, stop and think about it. Heal the sick. Who doesn't need to be healed? We have lots of needs where we need to see healing occur. Raise the dead. We need some of that too, right? Thank you. Now listen, I know it's a holiday weekend, but we're gonna be here all day if we don't have you. Cure those with incurable diseases like leprosy. Don't you think we need that? We need that. Cast out demons, we need that too. Give as freely as you have received. The problem is, is we're hoarders. Everything we feel like God has given us, we have to hang on to. And Jesus said it doesn't work that way. He said, get out there and demonstrate the love of Jesus by freely giving it away to those who can do nothing to for you in return. Give it away. These were the demonstrations of the love of Jesus and the desire to love like Jesus being in them. It was proof. It's kind of like people who run around all the time and say, well, I know I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. I don't ever act like it. I don't talk like it. I don't, I don't pretend to be. But, but one day when I was in the third grade, I walked down to the aisle and I met a preacher and I shook his hand and so I'm saved. Baby, you ain't saved. There ain't nowhere in the New Testament you can find that principle being there. In the New Testament it says if you've been saved, these are the actions that go with your behavior. If you've got it, you better demonstrate it. It's a great way to say what the Bible says. Because guess what? The Bible spends plenty of time saying that if you ain't got it, here's the behavior that they've got. This is the deal, friends. We've got to give it away, freely showing it. It's the byproduct of who we are. See, if the love of Jesus is in us and we love like him, it's the only way that we can touch a leper. It's the only way we can have faith to pray for a dead person to live again. It's the only way to engage a demon-possessed person. Have you ever seen a demon-possessed person? Have you ever seen how fast people run to get away from them, even in church? 
all of a sudden the back rows are even fuller. If you're not full of the love of Jesus, you don't care about their condition. It's the only way for full of the love of Jesus to pray for the sick to not suffer anymore. See, Jesus told them to get involved in the pain of humanity. Jesus said that if you're full of my love, I want you to start in these four areas and begin to deal with very practical, everyday, real moments and experiences. He didn't say that the only way to show this love was to the poor and the homeless of our society because he said, you know what, you're always going to have them with you. So don't give, don't, don't, don't make that your entire 100% focus because they're always going to be there in every society. You can never do away with that because of people's own personal decisions. But what you can do is show your love to the humanity that is lost and hurting and in pain. We need that, amen? We need to demonstrate that. We need to flesh that out. We need to freely give. That's the way Jesus said to live. You see, it's the willingness to get involved in anyone's pain regardless of social or economic status that bears the mark of loving, of what it is to love like Jesus, to demonstrate, to freely give it away. It's not just poor people who are hurting. But if we're unwilling to help a poor person, then we've not had the love or the grace of Jesus impact our hearts and our life. If we're unwilling to help the poor, we, we obviously do not love like Jesus. So let me show you the mark of those who freely give in the New Testament and the Old Testament. In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 7 through 11, The tail end of verse seven says, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. The pivot point in this passage is found in verse number nine. In verse number nine, it's a direct quote from Psalms chapter 112. And in Psalms chapter 112 is a list of the behaviors and the actions and the outcome of the righteous people. I would forgive me. I would encourage you to go home and read Psalm 112 and see if it sounds like someone would write about you because we all need that about us. You see, righteous people have this thing that happens in their life. They've been filled up with God's love, they flesh it out, and they freely give. That's why verse 9 says they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. We've got to be willing to give away. I, I'm not, listen, 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 I'm not talking about your money today. What do you have that you can put in somebody else's life? Man, when people are hurting, are you there for them giving away the love that you have so they can know Jesus? What are you doing for those who are downtrodden and out? What are you doing for those who are struggling spiritually? What are you doing for those that their health seems to be betraying them? When are we there? When are we uplifting them? When are we encouraging them? Come on, friends, if we're going to be full of love, it has to be shown. It has to be shown. You can't say you're full of, of love and never demonstrate it. If that's the person that you are, you're full of something else. We have to have the love of God overflowing in our hearts. And if we do, how can we keep from demonstrating it? How can we keep from demonstrating it? Let me tell you a story as we head to the, to the conclusion. One day this father took his two children, Helen who was eight and Brandon who was five, to the mall to do some shopping. 
Obviously, this story's not about me. You ain't gonna find me at the mall with just my kids. As they drove up, they spotted a Peterbilt 18-wheeler parked out in the, in the parking lot with a big sign that said, Petting Zoo. The kids jumped up in a, in a rush and said, Daddy, Daddy, can we please go? Please, please, can we go? Sure, he said. He pitched both of them a quarter before walking into Sears and they bolted away and he felt free to take his time looking for a scroll saw. The petting zoo consists of a portable fence, six inches of, of, of um, sawdust, sawdust laid on the ground and a hundred little fur babies all over the place for, for keeping the kids enthralled with these little squirmy critters while mom and dad shop. A few minutes later though, he turned around and saw Helen walking along behind him. He was a little shocked to see that she preferred the hardware department over the petting zoo. But recognizing his error, error, he bent down and asked her, what's wrong, sweetheart? She looked up and with a, the giant brown eyes that she had and said sadly, well, daddy, it cost 50 cents. So I gave my quarter to Brandon. Then she said the most beautiful thing that her father had ever heard her say. She repeated their family motto, which is love is an action. She had given Brandon her quarter and no one loves cuddly, furry little creatures more than Helen. She had watched both of her parents do and say, love is an action for years around the house as she grew up and on the ranch where they worked. She had heard and seen love is an action and now she had incorporated it into her own life. It was a part of who she was. So what do you think this father did? Well, if you're thinking that he reached in his pocket and found 50 cents more, you'd be wrong. As soon as he finished his errand, he took Helen over to the petting zoo. And they stood by the fence and watched Brandon go crazy, petting and feeding all of the little animals who were there. And Helen stood with her hands and her chin resting on the fence as they watched Brandon play. Dad had 50 cents burning a hole in his pocket, but he never offered it to Helen. And she never asked. You see, she knew what the family motto was. It's not really love as an action, but it's love as sacrificial action. Love always pays a price. Love always costs something. Love is expensive. When you love, benefits accrue to another person's account. Love is for, is for you, it's not for me. Love gives, it doesn't grab. Helen gave her quarter to Brandon and wanted to follow through with the lesson. She knew she had to taste the sacrifice to truly demonstrate love is an action. She wanted to experience the total family motto that love is sacrificial action. Friends, for far too often, we've kind of sat back and said, Jesus demonstrated what love is. It's not on me. And that couldn't be further from the truth. We have to be willing to love like Jesus. You see, that's the love Jesus demonstrated for us. And that's the same love he expects from us. It's why we have to fill up and stay filled up on his love. It's why we have to flesh it out and why we have to freely give it away. It's something we have to put in place. Now again, this is not a sermon about your money. It's a sermon about your heart. It's a sermon about my heart. See, it's easy to demonstrate that phileo love. I can be loyal. 
to be concerned. Oh, but friends, to have agape love is a whole different thing. And that's to be the mark of the New Testament. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Perhaps today you would say, Pastor, I need to experience the love of Jesus. Maybe it's been too long. <laughs> Maybe you haven't experienced God's love in your heart. You haven't felt him wrap his arms of love around you in a long, long time. And it just feels like you're kind of going through the motions. Come on, if that's you and you need to experience the love of God, whether it's for the first time or you need to experience it fresh and new, would you slip up a hand right where you're at? All right. Who else? Looking from your right to your left, all right? Who else? Come on, you need to experience, all right? Who else? Man, I believe today's going to be a day for you that raised your hands. I believe today is going to be a day of breakthrough. I know it's a holiday weekend, but Jesus doesn't give a rip about a holiday weekend. His love is available 365 days a year. Every moment, every day, every minute, every second, it's available. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I just need somebody to pray with me. I'm struggling. I need a miracle. My family needs a miracle. I know we've got a guest family with us today that I want to pray with in a few moments. Their son's in... Uh, children's Hospital downtown it had a stroke at the age of 16 and they're doing brain surgery this Tuesday. We're going to believe that Jesus is going to do the miracle in their family's life and see them through so that their bright-eyed boy that I've seen pictures of is going to go home with them again. But maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need a miracle. I don't know how we're going to make it through this. I don't know how my health is going to make it through. We want to pray with you. And if that's you, would you slip up a hand? I need somebody to pray with me today. I need a miracle in my life, all right? All right? Who else? All right? All right, I see you. Here's what I'm gonna ask us all to do all across the room. I'm gonna ask everyone to stand where you're at. And as you're standing, I'm gonna ask our elders and prayer team to make their way down to the front.